Visiting Chapter four of A Little Florida Lady by Dorothy C. Payne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Bologna Times. Beth was seated with Fritz and the kittens in a large Mexican hammock on the front porch. She held up a warning finger to her mother, who stood in the doorway. Mama, do not frighten Bertie away. He is not the least bit afraid of me, and I love to hear him sing. Mrs. Davenport was surprised to see a mockingbird perched on the railing directly by the side of Beth. His little head was cocked sideways, and floods of sweet sounds issued from his throat. His spouse, who was guarding their nest up in the big live oak in the front yard, trilled her limited paean of praise. Beth, who often acted as interpreter for beast and bird, thought the proud wife-bird meant to say, "'Bravo! Isn't he the most wonderful tenor that ever lived? Are you surprised that I love him so? He is the best and smartest husband in all the world.' Fritz and Black Pussy grew restless. She spit at him, and he barked at her. "'Now, my dears, do let me enjoy this beautiful music in peace,' Beth said reprovingly. Hardly had she spoken before Black Pussy sprang away, and Fritz was after her in an instant. Beth did not dare follow for fear of frightening away Mr. Mockingbird, who stopped singing as cat and dog scampered away, but who had not yet flown back to his mate. He was watching fearfully every move of the frolicsome pair. Away scurried Kitty to the other end of the porch, with Fritz a close second. Suddenly she turned settling down on her back with her claws outstretched, ready to receive Fritz. In an instant he was on her. Over and over they rolled in their wild play. Fritz became too rough to suit Puss, and she gave him a sudden dab with her sharp little claws. The blow disabled him for a moment, allowing Puss to spring away from him. She scampered down the steps and towards the big tree, with Fritz again after her. Mr. Mockingbird was up in arms in an instant. How dared the impudent creatures approach that tree where dwelt his wife and children? He flew to the rescue. Mrs. Mockingbird, too, had grown so nervous that she, also, left her young, and joined in the fray. Together Mr. and Mrs. Mockingbird dived and pecked at the cat and the dog in a most ferocious manner. Beth rushed out ready to assist the birds, if necessary, but her aid was not needed. Black Puss and Fritz were so taken by surprise at the fierce onslaught of the birds that they turned and sneaked away as fast as they could go. Thus, through the power of love, the weaker triumphed over the stronger. Later on the mockingbirds also came out victors in another contest, and against greater numbers, too. It happened in this wise. As the days went by, Beth grew somewhat restless. She did not exactly tire of Fritz, Puss, and Arabella, but she longed for diversion. Then one evening Mr. Davenport brought home a large coop of chickens, and calling Beth to him, he said, "'You are to tend these, daughter, and hunt eggs every day.' "'Oh, you dear, good papa! I want to take one of the sweet things in my arms.' Thereupon she tried to get a chicken, but somehow, in doing, she upset the coop. Away flurried the chickens in every direction. Beth felt ready to cry. 
Never mind, said Mr. Davenport. When they go to roost tonight, we can catch them and put them in the chicken house. That night some of the chickens perched on sheds and some on trees. A few had the hardihood to fly up on the branches of the live oak in the front yard. Mrs. Mockingbird was just falling asleep in the nest with her young, and Mr. Mockingbird was already asleep not far from her side. The chickens aroused the mother bird in an instant. Dearest, she piped, I hear a dreadful noise downstairs. I think there must be burglars in the house. You must go down and see. Now everyone knows that a man hates to be disturbed from a sound sleep, and Mr. Mockingbird proved no exception. Oh, Bertie, he grumbled, do leave me alone. You're always imagining things. Imagining things, am I? she answered shrilly. Just hear that awful noise. You're so lazy that you would see me and the children murdered before you'd move. If you don't want me to think you a coward, you'll go down this instant, this instant, I say. Now Mr. Mockingbird was, as Mrs. Mockingbird knew, very brave, and he also loved her praise. So he only blinked his eyes once more and literally flew downstairs. There he spied the chickens, settling down for a good night's rest. Such impudence aroused his ire. He did not hesitate a second, but dived into their midst and pecked furiously at the poor unsuspecting intruders. The chickens, taken utterly by surprise, fluttered to the ground without offering any resistance. They cackled so loudly, however, that the noise brought Titus to their rescue, and he succeeded in capturing the badly frightened hens. Mr. Mockingbird, triumphant, ascended to his anxious spouse. "'Dearest,' she cried, "'you're not hurt, are you?' "'Hurt?' he repeated boastfully. "'Hurt? Well, I should say not. It was only some upstart chickens who dared to sneak into the house, and I'm more than a match for any number of such. I guess we shan't be disturbed again by chickens or by impudent dogs and cats.' Mr. Mockingbird proved right in his surmise. The birds thereafter enjoyed their home without further intrusion. Under Beth's care the chickens flourished finely. They laid many an egg which in due time were placed beneath Mama Hens. There was a very proud little girl in the Davenport family when finally balls of yellow broke through the eggshells. Then Beth began saving eggs for Easter, and on Easter Day she found that she had enough to give every darky one, besides having all that were wanted for her own family. This Eastertide brought new diversions to Beth. For one thing, she received an invitation to spend a night in town with a little girl named Laura Corner. The Davenports and the Corners had been friends in the north before the two families moved south. Beth had never before spent a night away from home. She thought it would be a experience to go, and prevailed upon Mrs. Davenport to let her accept the invitation. The momentous day arrived at last. Beth wished to take all her belongings with her, from Fritz to a small trunk. She had to be content, however, with a valise. Fritz and Arabella were admonished to be good during her absence, 
and the chickens were entrusted to Marian's care. Mrs. Davenport drove Beth to town. Upon reaching the coroner's home, Beth's heart sank unaccountably, and she had a hard time to keep the tears back when she kissed her mother good-bye. However, Laura and the corners were so very cordial that her spirits soon revived. In the afternoon, several little girls, who had been invited to play, came in. Among the number was one who especially attracted Beth. She was slight and graceful. Her hair was golden, and her eyes were blue. Beth, of course, was introduced to all the girls, but did not catch the name of this one. She looks like that picture of the cherub we have at home, decided Beth. I wonder what her name is. I guess I'll call her Cherub to myself. Cherub, you're very pretty, but you're too quiet to be much fun. Most of the little girls had their dolls with them, all, in fact, excepting Beth and the Cherub. The latter sat apart from the other children. She looked so very demure that Beth thought her bashful and took pity on her. Seating herself beside her, she asked, wouldn't your mamma let you bring your doll? My mamma thought I had better not bring mine so far. The cherub showed little interest in the conversation. She answered curtly, I haven't a doll. Beth's eyes opened in surprise. You haven't any doll? What a pity! Then she hesitated. She feared the cherub might be too poor to afford dolls. She was soon undeceived, however, by the cherub exclaiming, I don't think it's a pity. I don't care for dolls. They're a nuisance. I like to play outdoors. So do I. The cherub grew animated. Do you? Say, can you climb trees and walk on stilts and... What are stilts? Don't you know? There was a slight contempt expressed for such woeful ignorance. They are long pieces of wood with places for your feet up from the ground. It's just as if you had wooden legs, only they make you tall so that you feel quite grown up. I'd like to walk on stilts. Would you? Where do you live? Out on the old shell road. What? Are your folks the people who bought the place near us? Do you live on the shell road, too? Beth was delighted. She was beginning to think the cherub might prove very companionable. Yes, your name is Beth Davenport, isn't it? Mine's Julia Gordon. Say, Beth, I'll come to see you and teach you how to walk on stilts, if you like. Will you really? When will you come? Tomorrow morning. Beth's face fell. Oh, that's a pity. I shan't be home. I'm going to stay here all night. Well, never mind. I'll come the morning after. All right. Don't forget. No, I'll be there right after breakfast. Games were started at this juncture, and then came refreshments. Soon afterwards, the guests took their departure. The cherub said in parting, We'll have a jolly time with the stilts, Beth. I've been wanting to teach somebody for a long time. Laura and Beth had a merry time together until tea time. Then, after tea, Laura's older sister, Flory, told them stories. Beth was simply fascinated. She could listen forever, she thought, and not grow weary. Flory made her characters live by the magic of her voice and words. 
Just before it was time for the children to retire, Florrie took down the Bible and read a chapter to them. Then the children went upstairs to bed. They had a pillow fight after they were in their nightdresses. Sad to relate, in the scuffle, their clothes were strewn around the room, and Beth carelessly failed to gather hers together again. They talked in bed until Mrs. Corner called to them to stop. Laura soon fell asleep, but Beth's heart again grew heavy. She missed the good-night kiss from her mamma, and tears rose to her eyes. She tried not to sob for fear of awakening Laura. Minutes seemed hours to her. She realized more than ever the depth of her love for her mother, and she resolved in future to be the best girl alive. That resolve somehow quieted her so that she fell asleep and forgot her heartache in pleasant dreams. She dreamed that it was the day after the morrow, and that Julia had come with stilts so high that they touched the clouds. Beth walked on them without the least difficulty. Then, all of a sudden, she dropped them and found herself flying with the utmost ease. She wondered she had never tried it before. It was so very delightful to fly. But suddenly the clouds turned into smoke and fire. Beth awakened with a start. The room was very light, as light as if it was broad daylight. Beth gave Laura a poke. Laura, it must be late. See how light it is? Laura jumped out of bed, and, running to one of the windows, raised the curtain. Both of the children cried out in fright then. Flames shot and curled to the very window of their room. Laura could not tell whether the house was on fire or not. She feared so, and the house next door was one mass of flames. Beth sprang out of bed, too. "'Mama! Mama!' screamed Laura. Nobody answered. "'Come quick, or we'll burn!' Still, only the crackling of the flames could be heard. "'They've forgotten us,' cried Beth, with chattering teeth. "'Laura, you know the way downstairs, don't you? Let's go!' "'We must dress first, answered Laura. Beth stamped her foot. "'I'm not going to wait to dress. Besides, I don't know where my things are. Oh, why didn't I mind Mama and put them away carefully? Now they'll burn.' The more prudent Laura gathered up her clothes from the chair where she had laid them, and led the way into the hall. They found it pitch dark there. Suddenly Laura stopped. "'Oh, Beth, I can't let it burn.' "'What will burn, Laura?' "'My beautiful new Easter hat. I must go for it.' "'Laura Corner, you must not go back for it. We ourselves might burn while you were getting it.' But Laura had thrust her clothes into Beth's unwilling arms, and was off like a flash to rescue her Easter hat. Beth did not know the way sufficiently well to go on by herself, and so, trembling, she awaited Laura's return. Laura was soon back, pressing the precious hat close to her side. Such treatment was likely to do it great damage, but, in her excitement, Laura did not stop to think of this. Downstairs a light shone in the parlor. Guided by its friendly beams, Laura led the way there. No one was within. The house was deserted, but for the two trembling girls. Beth, God alone can help us. And Laura's face was almost as white as the Easter hat under her arm. Beth's lip trembled. He's so far away. I wish Mama were here. Beth, 
God will hear us if we pray. Get down on your knees beside me. I'd rather run out into the street, answered Beth, who always believed in action rather than words. You're a wicked little girl. My mamma says I must never go on the street without some grown-up person. So get on your knees this minute. Beth meekly obeyed. Laura folded her hands. Beth imitated her. Begin, said Laura. Begin what? And Beth's eyes were wide open from surprise. Yes, and from fear, too. Why, to pray, of course. I'm not going to. You're the one who wanted to. Why don't you begin yourself? I, I can't. I'm too scared. Go on, Beth, and pray. I, I don't know what to say. Would now I lay me down to sleep do? No, silly. We're not laying us down to sleep. It's a fire. God's to keep us from burning to death. So pray. I, I'm not going to. And Beth jumped to her feet. Laura began crying. You're very wicked, Beth Davenport, and we'll burn to death, and it'll all be your fault. We won't burn if you'll come with me into the street. I'm going anyway. Why, children, what are you doing here? asked Mrs. Corner, coming into the parlor. Laura rushed to her mamma and threw her arms around her neck. Oh, mamma, we thought you'd forgotten us and would let us burn to death. Why, you poor little things, of course I hadn't forgotten you. Our house is not on fire. The fire is next door. We've been over there helping, and we thought we would not waken you unless there was danger of this house burning. They're getting the flames under control. Charlie has been working with wet blankets to keep our roof from catching. Now, children, you must go back to bed. Come, I'll go up with you. When the two were again in bed and alone, Beth said, Laura, you ought to want to make up for calling me wicked. I guess you aren't wicked, after all, for God didn't let us burn. I'm sorry, Beth. The children kissed. Then, worn out by the thrilling events of the night, slumber claimed them and held them captive until late next day. End of chapter 4